Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. So the holiday season is upon us, and this Thursday, many of us will be eating a bit more than usual in celebration of Thanksgiving. But what can you do during the holiday season to maintain your weight, maybe even lose a few, and not need to buy bigger clothes for the new year? Well, Sally Bellas, certified diabetes educator and nutrition expert, is in the studio here to tell us more. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, when is a fever high enough to be influenza or the flu? Well, traditionally, it's been over 100 degrees, but researchers in Chicago reported that using a lower temperature, such as 99, might help improve the accuracy of diagnosis, even in an emergency setting. They did a retrospective analysis and revealed that strictly following that 100-degree criteria put out by the CDC misses more than half of those that are actually found by polymerase chain reaction or PCR analysis to have influenza. About 40% of those would meet the criteria if the temperature requirement was lower. Next time you get a fever and you think it might be the flu, make sure that you notify your doctor and limit your exposure to other people so that you don't spread infection. If you do go to the emergency room, let them know if you took a Tylenol or aspirin or Advil, etc., so that if your temperature is not high enough, they might know why. And don't forget, flu shots are still available for those who need or want them at most pharmacies and also in your doctor's office. Do you ever wonder if the medications for Alzheimer's actually work? Well, in a three-year study out of Sweden, the cholinesterase inhibitors, known in the United States as medications like Aricept, Exelon, or Razadine, they work, but only in mild cases of Alzheimer's disease. In a study of those who use this medication with moderate Alzheimer's symptoms, less efficacy was noted. The bottom line is that we're still not able to do definitive testing yet for Alzheimer's in clinical practice, and until we can determine which test might be the most sensitive and specific for the illness, the medications that we do have are often started too late to see the benefit long-term. More research is needed to help with earlier diagnosis, and additional treatments are needed for this life-altering condition. Thanksgiving in November is a National Family Health History Day. The Centers for Disease Control are suggesting that during dinner, people learn more about their family's health history and share that with one another and with their doctors at their next visit. How much do you know about your family's health history? Well, there's a little quiz you can take online at www.cdc.gov, the Know Your Family Health History Quiz, and included is a link to the U.S. Surgeon General's Family Health Tree and ways that even faraway relatives can participate online. Now, just when you thought it was time to avoid snacking during the day, hey, it turns out that nuts may just be the answer. In a study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, Regular nut consumption was found to be associated with a 20% decrease in all-cause mortality. 20%. Why? 
Well, no one really knows yet, but it's time to go get some of your favorite nuts, and no, not the candy-coated kind, and add these nuts to your diet. The benefits may be linked to high levels of vitamin E, omega-3 fatty acids, and also antioxidants. However, you know, a cause-effect relationship between nuts and lower mortality, we don't know why yet, but it doesn't mean you can't go find your favorite nuts and take a little nut break. Speaking of nuts, and I mean that nutritionally, Sally Bellas is in the studio, and she's going to help us tackle the holiday pounds, give us some easy tips on how to eat, drink, and be merry without needing bigger clothes. We'd like to hear from you if you have some tips or tricks, things you might have learned the last time you went to your favorite holiday party. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu. We're toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Sally, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Happy to to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be here. Now, we were talking a little bit earlier about some easy tips and tricks. You know, some people have nutritional requirements that we're going to talk a little bit about what to do if you have gout or diabetes or if you have problems with with things like you just have to have dessert. Um, But let's talk about some simple, easy nutrition guidelines that, you know, let's pretend we're invited to a holiday party. And, you know, if I just decide I'm going to starve all day, and then I'm just going to pig out at the party. Is that a good or a bad idea? That's a bad idea because we're going to go to the party very hungry. We're going to see all the available goodies. And the temptation is so high. On we're a, going to want to eat it all. On an, absolutely. Well, the temptation is there. So let's pretend we're going to a party. Let's just say you and I are invited to a party. And we walk in the door and... What is one of the, what are some of the first things that we should do? You know, I mean, everybody says, oh, yay, it's a party. Let's get something to drink. Let's go check out the buffet. In an ideal world, let's say that I'm trying not to have to get elastic clothes. What should you do? You enter the party. First of all, is there something about what you can wear that can help you? I always recommend wearing fitted clothing or maybe even snug clothing. So we're... Tight pants. Yeah. Because you're less likely to overeat if your pants already don't fit. I mean, you know, you don't want to take them off. Okay. Kind of keeps things in check. That's very true. So wear fitted clothes. So actually wear something that will make you feel less susceptible to just having your chow down. And just more aware of that, you know, possibly expanding waistline. So, you know, wearing sweatpants, going to the party, probably not a good plan, right? (laughs) No elastic no elastic. Okay, don't go to a party wearing elastic. What about other things? So, you know, you go there and the first thing that happens is everybody says, would you like something to drink? Is all alcohol bad for you? Not necessarily. Now, it it can be something to be considered if someone um, is, you know, has diabetes and they're taking diabetes pills or they take insulin for their diabetes, they could run into some problems. So if someone is taking medications um, that could cause a low blood sugar when they have diabetes and they drink alcohol in an empty stomach, they put themselves at risk for low blood sugar or what we call hypoglycemia. So if you have diabetes, you really shouldn't drink alcohol in an empty stomach because you could cause a low sugar and that could give you other side effects. Absolutely. And, and the reason for that is um, our, livers work, our livers work very hard. They do multiple, they have multiple jobs, or it has multiple jobs. But the thing is, the liver is responsible for managing our blood sugars. So in between meals, the liver can break down the stored carbohydrate known as glycogen and release some of that sugar back into our bloodstream. But if we're drinking alcohol, when alcohol 
enters the body, the body kind of, it's, it's a toxin. So the liver wants to deal with that. And so that becomes a priority for the liver. And so it's not going to break down this glycogen and release glucose or sugar into our blood. So the, the, the liver's talented, but it just doesn't want to do those two things at the same time, and it just can't. So, so it gets preoccupied. So if it has to choose between alcohol metabolism and, hey, I'll keep your sugar high, it'll actually go with alcohol metabolism. Right. And then if you're diabetic, you might go rushing for the dessert table, which is probably not how you want to get your blood sugar to go spiking, et cetera. No, and it, so it's good to choose something that um, maybe has some protein, maybe a little fat in it, uh, maybe some vegetables with some dip or some roasted uh, vegetables, something like that with some cheese. So that combination and then making sure that, you know, if you're going to drink, eat at the same time or eat, you know, have a drink after you've had something. Now, I heard a good tip once, and it was, you know, alternate alcoholic beverages with non-alcoholic beverages. And there's a couple of different reasons why they say to do that. Nutritionally, how will that help you? Well, it's important to stay hydrated. A lot of times at these parties, there's all kind of foods that tend to probably be high in fat and sodium. And That's so, why they taste so good. Right. Okay. But drinking lots of water and hydration will help with appetite management as well or appetite control. So that's important. But we can take in a lot of calories real easy, especially with drinks that contain juices or fancy drinks like pina coladas or daiquiris, things like that, that might be high in sugar. So for someone with diabetes or someone just watching their calorie intake, they could the calories can easily add up, 150, 200 calories for some of those mixed drinks, whereas maybe they choose something like um, a spritzer or maybe just some club soda, which club soda, things like that, seltzer water, that's kind of like free, free, so... No calories involved. Mm-hmm. Put a little lemon, put a little lime. There you go. There you go. Happy. Okay. So there are some reasons why you would nutritionally and also for hydration reasons want to want to do that alternating. Now, are some alcohols better than others? I mean, you know, if you have a problem with sugar and you decide, okay, I'm just going to have a little alcohol, I'll have some wine coolers or I'll have some beer. Would it be better for you in that case to go for harder liquor that is smaller in quantity and less in calories? Is that is that something people might want to do? That's something to consider. The The better choice would be like a dry wine or a, a light beer. And some of the ultralight beers are as low as 70 calories. So non-alcoholic beer is another option. It's, you know, 60, 70 calories. Um, but actually a dry white wine. Could actually be less mm-hmm. sugar calories right. than if you were to have certainly some of the other, right. some of the other drinks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or just like, you know, just the straight... Um, Vodka, gin, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, don't be driving. So let's presume that you're not the designated driver doing this. So, okay, so we've entered the party. We're wearing our fitted clothes, and we've gotten a drink of, we'll say, seltzer water or club soda, added some lemon and lime. Now we're going to the appetizer area, and there's always fun stuff in the appetizer location. You've got cheeses and dips, and and you've got chips and crackers, and sometimes you've got vegetables and, and things you can dip them in. But uh, what are some good variations on appetizers? If you walk up to your standard Hawaii fair and there's all these different appetizers, what what should you look at trying to focus your efforts of eating on? Should you really just eat the carrot sticks? I mean, how fun are they? So what what would you do? Well, if you can't avoid the appetizers, you definitely want to start with some options like the vegetable crudite or maybe some roasted vegetables. Nuts are a great 
way yeah, to start. Yeah, we just said nuts. Right. You know, you can live longer if you eat a lot of nuts. So that's, so that's good. So if you can't, you mentioned if you can't avoid the appetizer. So one of the options is just, I'm not going to have that. Right. Skip and say, you know, wait or, for the main event. Okay. Or if you were to have something, vegetables, roasted, or dipping them in a little bit. Now, you know, I hear about those dips, though. You know, sometimes people think, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to have a salad. And they put so much dressing on. It's like, really? Because there's so much calories and fat in that dressing. Go eat a burger. So how do you know when you're putting some of these different types of dips on your vegetables, how much is too much? It can really add up fast. So I usually just recommend keeping the dip on the side of the plate rather than pouring over the salad or the vegetables. And that way you can just kind of dip the vegetables in that little, you know, dressing in on your the little side bit on the side. Um, okay. and, and, and don't double dip in everyone else's dip, people, because nobody likes to see that. And that's how we spread infection. No double dipping. Unless it's your own little collection of dip sauce, don't be putting your half-eaten vegetable back in there. That's just not good. So, okay, so you get your own little dip container, your own little, maybe you put a little with a spoon on your plate. So vegetables you could do, pretty good? Yes. Okay. What about some of the, you, we, we mentioned nuts. Are there any nuts in particular? Should we avoid certain types of nuts or any nuts can be okay? You know, all of the nuts have something to offer. They're all very nutritious, good source of protein, and they're all, they all contain healthy fats, the heart, you know, fats that are good for us. Um, walnuts seem to kind of be the star, though. They're the highest in omega-3. Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. It's great for heart health. Um, so nuts all around are, um, are the walnuts all around are a good choice. Almonds as well. So there are ways that you can find almonds and, and walnuts, and you can put those on your plate, have those as a little snack. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here, learning how to go to a party, enjoy yourself, eat, drink, and be merry, but not too merry. Here with nutrition expert Sally Bellas. If you've got a question you want to know if your favorite particular food could give you troubles, or if you found a healthy way to prepare something that might surprise everybody with how good it tastes, you can join us today at... 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, okay, Sally, we're at our party. Time for the main event. You know, everybody likes to have a little bit of fish and chicken. Some people like to have a little bit of lao lao. Some people like to have, you know, your Kahlua pork, and then you have some red meat. Can you just sample all of it, or is that just a bad plan? That's A, a good plan is actually to scope out what's available. So, I'll say have a plan, enter the party, scope out the scene, walk around the table, see what's available, and kind of hone in on some of the things you really want to taste, and then decide that, okay, you're going to have so much of each and kind of maybe spread it out, pick two things, then maybe go back, try two more things, and keep the portion control. Again, you know, you've got the kind of... You've got your fitted clothes, right? Exactly. You can't take them off. Mm-hmm. Not at the party that everybody's going to. So you're going to keep your clothes on. Mm-hmm. So you so you want to go, maybe you said try one or two things. So don't overload your plate. You know, I think sometimes it's kind of neat. You'll see people who have smaller plates. So it sort of sends a message, you know, use a smaller plate. Um, that way you can have a little bit at a time. But what do you do if the only plates available are those huge 10-inch ones, you know, and you're feeling that need to just fill it up? Should you just put on some lettuce, get some salad? How How can I do this and be healthy? You can fill up half that plate or more with all those watery-type vegetables, so the the carrot sticks, the cucumbers, the salad, the tomatoes, all that kind of stuff, and even some roasted vegetables if that's available. So make that like half my plate. 
Exactly. Make half your plate the vegetables and then hone in on what you want. Do you want some of that, a piece of lao lao, or do you want some of that turkey? But don't try and have it all. Right. Scope it out and see what, you know, what you're really feeling like you want to taste. And then um, make sure that you save some room for what dessert you want to taste and pick one or two things and have very small portions or share. Sharing is always great. All right. Well, we've got Jennifer on the line from Palolo. Jennifer, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, thanks. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Well, and you were talking about uh, the type of nuts and what nuts to avoid. If you're really on a diet, I would really avoid peanuts. Peanuts has a tendency to, um, it's got a higher fat and I Proven. I mean, I was eating peanuts, and I just, like, gained weight, and they go, oh, my gosh. And I, I pinpointed it down, and my weight trainer over call, call across it, he says, yep, peanuts are a very, very big no. So just FYI, if your listeners are really thinking about nuts, nuts are awesome. I mean, I, that's all I, it, it actually lowers your triglycerides, if you can understand me. <laughs> it's a tongue twister, but it, it's a very good, very good uh, diet to go on peanuts. And, of course, my almond milk, because that is awesome, because tofu products are very not so good. If it's a process, they even contribute to a lot of uh, 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 tumors and problems in the breast, and that's what a lot of the tofu, people think, oh, tofu, if it's a processed tofu, I would stay, up, stay away from it. Uh, but if it's regular um, uh, soy products, unprocessed, great. All right, Jennifer, you brought in some really good hints. You know, you talk about being careful what kind of nuts. And, uh, Sally, you just mentioned walnuts are like right now the superstar of the nut family. Yeah, and Jennifer hit on it. It's those um, omega-3s, which walnut provide the highest concentration of all the nuts that um, can help reduce triglycerides. So that's a type of fat in the bloodstream. And a lot of times we see... You know, around the holidays, people's triglycerides, you know, when they come to see you in January, oh, the triglycerides are up. What were you eating that was sweet or fatty? So we try uh, a little bit of wal- in January, yeah, <laughs> for just for that reason. So I'll mix okay. a little walnuts in and keep those triglycerides in check. Well, and, you know, they actually have prescription medication that is concentrated omega-3. So that's specifically indicated for elevated triglycerides. So, Jen, you got it because you're right. You get the omega-3s. You will lower the triglycerides. And it's an important point. You know, when we talk about processing of food, she mentioned a lot of processed tofu. We all like to say, hey, I'm going to eat walnuts. I'm going to be healthy, but I won't tell you it's on a brownie. You know, so we have to think about how things are made or processed. And certainly when things are more natural and they Mm -hmm. don't require a lot of artificial flavoring or coloring or processing, always going to be better for you. And that's a great tip for the holidays, um, whether it's an office party, a buffet going out or to somebody's house at a restaurant, is really choosing the simplest items on the menu because those things can be tasty. But just keeping it really simple, the less sauce and, you know, know, not too complex. Gravies and that kind of stuff, sure. Yeah, so speaking of gravies, if someone has issues with gout, um, the holidays can be real difficult. There's a lot of stews or meats or things with gravy, and some of those foods are high in purines, which you know can increase uric acid levels in the bloodstream, and that can really aggravate gout, not to mention all the wonderful shrimp going around and you know seafood for some people. 
All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bellas. She is my nutrition expert. I'm going to bring her to all of the holiday parties I'm invited to so she can keep me from putting the wrong stuff on my plate. When we come back, we are going to talk some more about special dietary instructions. For those of you who might have gout or know somebody who does, what can you do to help them make better choices so they don't physically have to be uncomfortable after they eat too much of certain foods. You can join us at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. At that age, we're creating selves, potent and plastic, making and unmaking homes, the world in our hands. We're playing with dynamite. This week on Selected Shorts, stories by John Updike from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. I'll turn it on in the living room to hear Prairie Home Companion or just to have the beautiful classical music on in the background. I'm an addict of Morning Edition, and when I'm fortunate enough to be going home during the hours when All Things Considered is aired, I always tune into that as well. I mean, it's the preset on my radio dial in my car. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my party planner and partner in crime, Sally Bellas, nutritionist. She's going to make sure we all eat everything correctly this holiday season so that, you know, you can enjoy yourself, but you don't have to suffer those side effects come January, February, etc. If you've got a question or you've got a secret tip, we heard from Jennifer earlier, you know, be careful with the peanuts, find some other sources of of nuts, and we described walnuts as one of the superstars here. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. During the break, we had a call from B from Kona. B, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, Dr. Kozak. You always have the greatest program that's like, brings a thought to mind that let's not forget about our local products, like MacNet. MacNets are very high in omega-3s. Excellent. You can make everything out of them. We love the MacNuts, and we yeah. love, love, love and then the omega-3s. I keep teasing my customers when they're coming in on vacation that they're going to have mahi-mahi instead of turkey. But there are free-range, there's probably free-range birds here, too. So the main thing is healthy and uh, local. You got it. Not That's a great point, B. You know, not processed and enjoy, eat healthy, eat local, which is another Excellent. thing. There's a lot of farmers markets that are available throughout the islands in various places. And that's places where you can support local growers who are making healthy foods that, you know, you may not be able to get unless it's processed or they put some kind of preservative on it if you were to try and get it shipped from the mainland. So what's exactly. your favorite uh, what's your favorite local homegrown food be? You know, these days my son is like the uh, quintessential fisherman. So I had a mempati the other day that all I did was put Hawaiian salt and pepper, and the thing was delicious. Oh, it sounds good. Yeah. But, I mean, it really depends. I mean, I came up with an idea where if it's fruit, that means I'm sort of limited on the fruit. And here in Kona, waiting for it to be orange, you know, citrus season. But, um, you know, pretty much I don't buy 
apples. They're imported. I use, I buy papayas, you know. Fantastic. Um, and I know that some people would question, oh, are papayas GMO or whatnot? We don't really have that on the Big Island. Uh, I think that, you know, the fact that the papayas are raised here, the industry was actually saved, you know, because the papaya was developed by UH. But I think the main thing is, like, the least imported that you can have is actually a very healthy choice, too. You know, it's not going to be a package that's come through a giant's chain um, imported from some far-fetched place. Well, and you're right, B. and the other point is that we're supporting our local farmers, our local growers, and helping to support and sustain the ability to eat and grow our own food right here in the islands. Sally, what's your favorite locally grown ingredient? What's, what's, what do you go for when you go to the farmer's market? I love all the local greens, the mixed greens. That's my absolute favorite. Um, they all have a unique taste, um, and they're all very different and um it's like a sweet bitter. I mean, some of them are just so wonderful. I, I, I find that I don't even need a lot of dressing or any. I just, the greens, when they're really fresh and they're locally grown, they're most nutritious, um, and, which is true for any produce. When we can get it local, um, closer to home, the nutrition is going to be there. Once something is picked from its source, it's it's losing its nutritional value. So the farther we get things shipped here, you know, they may not be as nutritious as what we can get locally, and the flavor is so much better. Um, but I just love those mixed greens. You're a mixed green kind of person. You got it. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you think about if you're going to ship something from somewhere else, um, East Coast or even West Coast, then you have to pick it before it's completely ripened. Because if you wait until it's ripened, then by the time it gets to the location, it may already be overripe. So as a result, you may not get as much in the nutritional value, but also you might not get the flavor. I mean, I've noticed when I buy some things that, you know, I'm guilty of going to, you know, the Costco places or the Sam's Club and you go, oh, my God, there's so many of these. I have to have it. And yet you take a look and not all the berries are as sweet as you wish they were because maybe they were picked too soon. So you're right. Locally grown food, the greens, B mentioned over in Kona, you know, her son, the fisherman, just add a little salt and pepper. And then, of course, macadamia nuts. Where else can you get nuts like mac nuts that are really delicious, and you can put them in a variety of different things, salad, etc. and how good does that make it? They're wonderful, and they're so nutritious, and they also, other than, you know, the omega-3, they also, um, of all the nuts, have the highest profile in terms of the monounsaturated fat, so... So go for your mac nuts, maybe not necessarily just covered in chocolate. There's right. a lot more you can do with magnets. So much. They're, it's wonderful on salads. Um, with that, minpachi, you could have done a macadamia nut crusted minpachi. You know, it's dinner time, really. This is bad. Because now I'm getting all hungry thinking about all that mac-crusted stuff. Well, let's talk about our gout, folks. Because, you know, gout's pretty pretty common here in the islands, and we have a lot of people who have that. Right before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the gravies and things that contain the purines that are what give people with gout a little bit of trouble. And then also some of the shellfish you know, the shrimp and lobster and such. We think about some of the foods that people with gout really should avoid. What about some of the things that they could add to their diet that might help them? Well, there's been some some research and some evidence that maybe cherries contain some plant phytochemicals that can help um, with purine levels or uric acid levels. Um, but, you know, just it's, it's back to fresh as much as possible. So 
foods that don't have a lot of added fats um, and not a lot of extra preservatives, nitrates, things like that, or processed meats can really aggravate gout um, and increase uric acid levels. So fresh meats, fresh fruits and vegetables. And, you know, not necessarily things, dare I say it, from a can, spam, or some of the other things. You know, you can eat a little bit, but I think as with any particular condition, too much is just too much. So the processed meats, mm-hmm. if you're going to have, if you're going to go to a buffet and you have gout, you should probably pick one meat and not go, let me have some shrimp and some lobster and let me go have some crab legs. And then I'm going to go have the prime rib. I mean, that would be a bad combination. Right. With the gravy and the mashed potatoes. and everything. I mean, it sounds really good, but it's just not that good for you. Now let's talk about potatoes because there's something that I know, you know, when we talk about potatoes in general, um, there's sweet potatoes, there's Okinawan potatoes, there's regular, you know, Idaho potatoes. Let's think about people with diabetes because, again, it's another condition that we see quite uh, frequently here in the islands. For those who have diabetes, there's theories that sweet potatoes are better than regular potatoes, yet you would think the word sweets in the description of that particular food, why is it that would be better? Tell me about why, if you have diabetes, going for a sweet potato might be better than some of the other potatoes out there. Well, that's, you know, that's the name given to that certain root vegetable, and it has a, it has a little bit of a sweet taste, but the difference is sweet potatoes, such as the Okinawan sweet potatoes, or even yams, they're, they have a higher fiber content, and especially if you include and eat the skins. So that makes it l- have a lower glycemic index. So if you eat mashed potatoes, that's going to raise your sugar pretty quick, whereas you eat a roasted or steamed sweet potato, that's going to have a lower glycemic index, so it's not going to spike your sugar as much. It's slower to digest, so your blood sugars are more level, and you you have more fiber. But they're also much more nutritious. Any fruit or vegetable that has intense color um, usually has more vitamins. It's the vitamins and the phytochemicals that give it its color. So the more deep the color, the more nutrition you can expect from that vegetable. So sweet potatoes are very high in vitamin A, potassium. So some of the things you're looking for, you know, when we think about how do you eat from the rainbow, look at some of the colors, the bright colors, you know, the yellow bell peppers, the green ones, the red ones. Think about things that are sort of vibrant in color as having maybe even more nutritional value. Right. And so with sweet potatoes, they're a little darker. Okinawan potatoes, you can even get the purple in color. And that will take more time for your body to digest, which means not having that sugar spike. Now, when people go ahead and they have a lot of food, is it that sugar spike that makes us so sleepy? You know, Thanksgiving, everybody, they, they get together, they have their meal, and then everybody wants to take a nap. Why is that? And what can you do to avoid that after-dinner slumber that you're just dying to go for, but you're at somebody's house and it's probably not you know, politically correct to just go lay down? I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But when, the, when we, a lot of times it's just the volume or the amount of food. Um, so when we have a higher blood sugar after a meal, that makes us very drowsy and sleepy. Um, you know, everyone knows about turkey and the tryptophan, so there's, you know, evidence for that. But I really think it just comes down to eating a lot, feeling very sluggish, and that high post-meal blood sugar making us very drowsy. So we really shouldn't just go lay down, taking a little walk, good idea? Probably, especially if someone has diabetes, um, they would want to do that. Now, let's talk about the dessert table, because you know, we all like the dessert table. 
And I read somewhere that, you know, so if you eat your meal, you're eating healthy, you're having your salad, you have a little bit of the turkey, maybe a little stuffing, maybe some sweet potatoes. Now it's time for dessert. Now Thanksgiving makes me always think of pumpkin pie, um, but lots of other sorts of desserts and good treats that are out there. Is it okay if you have dessert first? There is nothing wrong with that. Again, it's back to having that action plan, you know, so go with a plan that, okay, I'm going to choose a couple of my favorite things and I'm going to allow myself uh, a dessert that I really want to taste. And you can decide that you're going to have that dessert first as long as you stick to your plan. And some people might find that all they really wanted was that piece of that sliver of pumpkin pie or that sliver of apple pie and it tasted so good. And they may decide that, hey, I really don't need to eat a bunch of other things. And it's really about the total amount of food, total calories that's going to really affect whether they, you know, go up a pant size or not. So so instead of like, okay, I'm going to eat all the food and then I'm going to have dessert and then I'm going to have had like two or 3,000 calories, right. maybe just go have your piece of pie if you're not going to go back and eat all that other food and just don't have a quarter of the pie. Because it really comes down to the total amount of calories and someone might decide, you know what, I really want that that custard pie or that pumpkin pie, and then they might decide, you know, I really just need to eat less because I'm really happy I just had my pie, and they may end up eating, you know, 500 calories less than they would have had they eaten from the buffet first and then said, I still want my dessert. So we're forgiven from the nutritionist if you want to eat dessert first. You can do that. That's important to know because, I mean, some people have these rules. You know, I must have an appetizer. I must have salad. I must have my main course, then dessert. But if you want to flip that around, it's all going in the same stomach. You know, the order really doesn't matter when things are churning. There, you know, that's, there's a lot of evidence for that. There's, there's no strong scientific evidence that says that food is digested in a certain order. So, so it doesn't mean that something you ate first is digested first, and we know that, and so that's not how the digestive system works. But I do want to say one quick thing about the dessert. Um, if someone has diabetes, they need to include that into their meal plan, and especially if they're taking insulin, they really need to consider the amount of carbohydrates they're taking to match their insulin to that, and they need to include that dessert as part of their meal plan and their total carbohydrate count. Because that changes how much insulin they're going to give. Right. So for those people who give not a set amount of insulin, but a varying dose, keep in mind that if you are going to add those extra carbohydrates from dessert, you have to be extra careful. Dose your insulin accordingly. And learn what to do before you go to the party. Right. I mean, you can talk with your doc even now, holiday season, and find out what sorts of ways that you can adjust your insulin should you need to. Because, I mean, it's better to have giving yourself more insulin and have a lower sugar than use less insulin and have your sugar be two, three hundred for, you know, who knows how long. So always better to treat the sugar and bring it down, even if you went a little off on the diet. So that's an important thing. Good conversation to have. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my nutrition expert, Sally Bellas. If you've got a nutrition question, hey, now is your chance to ask because we've got somebody right here as an expert who can help figure out what might be best for you. You can give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now we've got a caller on the line. We've got Rita from Makakilo. Rita, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. 
What can we do for you today? Um, I'm wondering, you were talking about lowering triglycerides. How is it that you can lower LDL? Good question, because, you know, a lot of people aren't really sure about the difference between triglycerides and LDL. So great question. And uh, Sally, you teach a nutrition class about cholesterol and what sorts of different things make up the cholesterol profile. Rita, I'm going to tell you something brief about cholesterol, and then I'm going to have Sally take over. So your total cholesterol is a combination of your good guys or your HDLs, your bad guys or your LDLs, and 20% of your triglycerides. Because triglycerides are about 80% sugar, 20% cholesterol. And so that's how that combination all works together. So if you looked at your total cholesterol number, it should add up good guys plus bad guys plus 20% of triglycerides. And that's your total. Now, you asked a really great question, which is, hey, we talked about lowering triglycerides with our omega-3 in our nuts. How do we lower the LDL? Sally, what do you tell people about LDL? Rita needs to know. So again, that LDL is that bad cholesterol, that what we call the lousy kind of lethal cholesterol, and you want to keep your LDL below 100. And the best way to lower the LDL is to really cut out the saturated fats in the diet. Saturated fats are mostly found in animal foods, especially the fatty cuts of meat. So sausages, uh, gravies, meats, um, with a lot of the fatty cuts or a lot of the marbling. Uh, fried foods, a lot of the fried foods. So those are the things you want to avoid. So it's mainly those those fatty meats, the skin. So you want to remove the skin, trim the fat from your cuts of meat, and avoid a lot of those fried foods. Um, and saturated fats tend to be solid at room temperature. Think about when we fry bacon. When we fry bacon and that fat renders out, if you leave those drippings sitting in the pan, what, what do you see? Gross. I don't know about you, Rita. I see grossness. Yes. Yeah. So it's that saturated fats physically will become solid at room temperature. Is that what I'm eating when I eat bacon? So think about, you know, if if so if someone was eating that weekly or, you know, often, then you would have you would see that that you would have that build up of of that icky bacon grease right. in my arteries. Rita, I'm cured of bacon forever. No, I don't know no, about you. That flavor. Um, so what you want to do to answer Rita's question is choose foods that are high in monounsaturated fats. Monounsaturated fats are very powerful in terms of lowering your LDL. And the good news is they can increase your good cholesterol or the good guys, the HDL. So you kind of get a double benefit. Um, Best sources, macadamia nuts, macadamia nut oil, olive oil, canola oil. Those are very good sources. Peanut oil, peanut butter, Lots of nut butters, such as almond butter, almond milk, good sources, uh, and avocados. So these are things that will lower your LDL. because okay. of so you need to become a vegetarian, basically, right, or no? Well, I don't know, Rita. I just gave up bacon thinking of what's left in the pan. <laughs> there, There is no cholesterol in plant foods. So basically, if someone's a strict vegan, they don't obtain cholesterol in their diet because there is no cholesterol in plants. Cholesterol is strictly coming from animal products or animal foods. So if we limit that, then we won't have as much of the LDL, that lousy LDL, that you want to be as low as possible. So lots of veggies, lots of fruits and veggies, whole grains. But increase, you really particularly want to focus on those monounsaturated fats. So add some walnuts and avocado to your salad or add some avocado to a a turkey sandwich or do a veggie avocado sandwich. Use olive oils. Make your own vinaigrettes and dressings. And experiment and have fun with those healthy oils. 
Oh, okay. That sounds good. All right, Rita, I think I'm redeemed. Maybe I'll have bacon I again. I don't know. I don't know. All right, well, thanks for calling us today. Okay. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bell as we are talking about how can you eat healthy foods for the holidays and what can you choose so that you won't regret it the day after the party. If you've got a question, we've got an expert ready to answer it. You can call us at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Learn about novel writing from Pulitzer Prize winner Richard Ford, who talks at the Kansas City Public Library about using fiction as a vehicle for renewal and awareness. My message of alienation is that if loneliness is the disease, the story is the cure. Interviewed by fellow writer Whitney Terrell, Richard Ford also reads from his most recent novel, Canada, on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. If a person is grateful, if they're exuding a little bit of light, and I want to be near them, because I want it to, because that's when I'm at my very happiest on this earth. We're always happy to have writer Anne Lamott for Thanksgiving, and we'll gather together the wit of Julia Sweeney, the wisdom of Ted Kuzer, and grateful music from Dawn Upshaw. I'm John Burge with music and stories for Thanksgiving. It's Giving Thanks from American Public Media. Thursday morning at 8. Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bellis. She's a nutrition expert, teaches a class on how to lower your cholesterol, teaches people who have diabetes how to better manage their sugars, and she is teaching all of us today about what to do to survive holiday parties so that you won't wind up needing new pants soon after. All right. Well, during the break, we had a caller who called in, Dr. Joshi from Maui. Wanted to talk a little bit about... Great. Want to talk a little bit about uh, glycemic index or glycemia? Is that right? Correct. Um, I was diabetic for a short time, for about a year, because I was on steroids. And so I tested my blood sugar, being a physician, about 10 times a day. And I have to say that the low glycemic index never worked for me in any sense of the word, whether I ate brown rice, white rice, five, five grams of carbohydrates, was five grams of carbohydrates, period. So I just wanted to make that clear that sometimes I think people think they're making a mistake, but their bodies just might be unable to process. You know, they have they just don't have the low glycemic or high glycemic problems. They just, you know, their body just says, carbohydrates, eat carbohydrates. But the other thing that I wanted to mention real quickly when you mentioned about being vegetarian was, there was a new study out that came out about a month ago that said that a particular uh, enzyme formed by, by bacteria in our gut called, I think, TIME, was perhaps more important for causing atherosclerosis and heart disease than our diet. And it seemed that people who were vegetarian didn't produce this particular enzyme, which made them less likely to get diabetes, I mean, to get heart disease. And I was wondering if you had read something similar to that about a month or so ago. 
Great question, Dr. Joshi. And, you know, two things you brought up which were really good. The first of which is, you know, some people don't respond to that low glycemic uh, diet. And sometimes if you have diabetes, like you mentioned, from the use of steroids or some other uh, additional reason why you might have developed the sugar issue, then following classic rules may not work for you. And you're right. Sometimes what works for some people doesn't work for everybody. So good that you were really involved in taking care of your sugars and monitoring this. A lot of people out there don't check their sugars often enough and or they're afraid of using the machine to check their sugars because they're just fearing that whole concept. So Sally, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. The second question you mentioned is, have we heard about the enzyme research that's currently being done that may change our thoughts on atherosclerosis? And there's a lot of stuff going on out there right now to research this very common problem. The number one cause of death in the United States is by far atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So that incorporates heart attacks and strokes. And that's actually 10 to 1 more common than cancer as a cause of mortality. So we're trying to find different ways that we can help to identify what the causes are and help to modify some of those risks. And there have been some studies done in the vegetarian population because they don't tend to have those risks. And the question is, is it because they're not eating animal products and thus they're not eating cholesterol? Or is there something else special about their body and or their digestive system that helps them? And so there is some research being done on different enzymes, trying to find out, hey, if you decide not to be a vegetarian, could you find some way to modify that enzyme activity so that it could lessen your chances of having these problems with atherosclerosis? But unfortunately, nothing's been absolutely proven and or widely available yet. So it's a good thought, and I do hope we get more research done on that, but uh, has yet to really to really go mainstream. So I did want to mention something, Sally, you mentioned Dr. Joe. She said he checks his sugar 10 times a day. How easy it is it to check sugars? Because a lot of people fear this, and they maybe have borderline diabetes, or maybe they're developing a problem with diabetes, or they even have it, and they're scared to death to check a sugar. Now, he mentioned he checked it quite often when he had this problem with sugars, and it was potentially steroid-induced. But when you teach people how to check sugars, how easy is that? It's it's very simple to teach um, persons living with diabetes how to check their blood sugars. And uh, 10 times a day is uh, quite a lot. Um, most patients check anywhere from two to four times a day. It depends. If they're taking insulin, they may be checking six to eight times a day. If they're very active, they may need to be needing to test a lot more before and after exercise. Um, I have some patients, if their diabetes are very well controlled, they may be testing once a week. It really is a decision that they would make with their physician and having a discussion, and that's a shared decision between the patient and the physician how often they should check depending on their diabetes management. But a lot of the new meters are very easy to use. The lancets um, are very tiny now, so you barely feel um, the little lancet, and the lancing devices are much more comfortable to use, so it makes um, the testing so much easier. The meters a lot of them read within five seconds. So, it, so it's, it's really accurate. It's actually pretty easy. You could check your blood sugar if you're good at it within less than a minute. Very easy to do. So if and, you're diabetic, no reason not to. Right. And much less painless um, with the new technology and the smaller lancets. So excuses are gone. Pretty much. All right. I, I did want to um, just touch on uh, 
there are a lot of studies being conducted on nutritional genomics and gut microflora. So we're seeing a lot of those studies come out. They're still very new, um, but they're presenting some interesting information to look at. And it's very important to maintain healthy gut microflora for our health. And so it's very important with that balance. Um, so a lot of people are familiar with probiotics. You know, that's that healthy bacteria that we can get from kefir and, you know, active live yogurt cultures. But a lot of people haven't heard about prebiotics. And that's something that vegetarians get a lot of because prebiotics are fiber. It's, it's, it's Part of it is a lot in plants. So when someone is eating a plant-based diet, they have a good balance between the prebiotics and the probiotics. So the probiotics are the healthy bacteria. The prebiotics, think of them as the food to feed your healthy bacteria and maintain that balance. And then we're looking more on our green leafy vegetables and things like that. Right. So it does have a lot to do in terms of what we eat, how that affects our gut microflora and our gut health. You really are what you eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just scary. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Sharon from Waikiki. Sharon, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Um, you were talking about walnuts and macadamia nuts, but you didn't give us any idea as to how much daily. Like, do you add two to three ounces a day for a couple of weeks and then go see your internist? It's a great question. How much is enough with walnuts and mac nuts? Is that what you're wondering, Sharon? Yes. Great idea. Sally, I want some nuts. I've heard of the superstar walnuts. I live in Hawaii. Mac nuts are great. How much am I having? The general rule is keep it to like a palm size. So it's a quarter cup or less, which is really hard because sometimes nuts taste really good. It's hard to stop. But uh, we really do want to limit the amount. Now, a lot of the studies that were done were very specific as to the type of nut and the amount of nuts that they were giving. But for most of us, for good health, the general rule is going to be about a quarter cup or so or a palmful of nuts. So that could be about 10 almonds, maybe 18 small peanuts, depends on the nut. So we're talking single layer. We're not right. like piling them up. So nuts are very nutritious, but they're 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 calorie dense. They're high in calories. So we we do have to kind of limit the survey. In other words, for good health and for prevention, a little goes a long way with nuts. All right. So does that help you, Sharon? Thank palm you size. So much. It's a great idea and and don't make like 10 layers in your palm, which I know you wouldn't do that, Sharon. I'm just, you know, maybe I would. So All two right. two servings of nuts a day, two so servings. that would be you know, one serving would be like 10 almonds. Can I have them all at once or should I split them up? One serving at a time. One serving at a time. All right. Sally's just bumming me out. Okay. We have time for another caller. We have Dunn from downtown. Dunn, welcome to the body show. What can we do for you? Oh, hi, Dr. Kozak. Um, I have two questions. Um, you, uh, your guest mentioned that peanut butter was good for you, but I was wondering there's different kinds of peanut butters. And some of them have, like, uh, palm oil, which I think is used to make them thicker, as opposed to the ones which have a liquid on the top. And then, and I'm wondering if that is good for you or not. And I know the ones with hydrogenated fats are not good for you. So that was one of my questions. And the second is, um, my understanding is that the recommended daily allowance for protein is up to one gram per kilogram of body weight per day. And I was just wondering, how was that determined? And those, you, know, you know the studies that were used to determine, because it's been recommended that I eat more protein uh, each day. 
All right. So you have two really great questions. The first one is, which is the healthier peanut butter? Now, it's probably not going to be the one that I would think of, you know, the skippy, extra chunky, all this extra stuff. I remember that organic peanut butter with the oils on top. And I always used to think, ew, that's the funny kind of peanut butter. But that's probably the healthier one, Sally. When we think peanut butter, if you're going to have this as a source of nuts and protein, what am I going to go to the store and buy? Is it organic? Is it is it not made with the things that I seem to think taste good? What am I getting? You really want to go for the natural peanut butter, organic, organic natural peanut butter, and it's going to have the oil layer on top. So, you know, as most people know you have to mix it or you're just going to have this solid chunk. Um, so you have to mix it. And remember, that oil is just separating out, and that's the healthy fat. So you need to mix it in with the chunky part, which is more the protein. So to get those healthy oils and the benefits, you want to mix it. But you definitely want to buy those natural peanut butters with the oil on top. Um, A lot of the other types of peanut butters that don't require refrigeration have preservatives. They probably have added sugar and other things. So um, the natural peanut butter, of course, after mixing, you would want to refrigerate it because there would not be any preservatives. And, of course, you can make your own peanut butter if you have a food processor or a blender at home. Um, very easy to do. Or make any of your own nut butters and just buying some uh, raw nuts. And what do I put in my blender? Nuts and what else goes in there? A lot of times the natural oil will be enough. You can add a little water, but a lot of times you just put it in the blender and make your own. It'll be, it's whatever thickness you like, but just your raw and salted nuts. And you want to roast them first to bring out the flavor. Oh, you and just then, added a step. Wait a minute. So now I got to roast them and then I put them in the blender. Okay. And do I add anything else in my blender? You could put a pinch of salt or something from like sea salt or kosher salt for a little flavor, but you, you really wouldn't have to. It's just the consistency. You might add a little water, but the natural oil from the nuts will smooth it out as you process it with the blender or the food processor. All right. That sounds kind of And you yummy. can go to a lot of places That'll and actually, yeah, yeah, just, or do it yourself there if they have the machines. So, And then I might not have to clean it, which would make me even more likely to do it somewhere else. Okay. So make your own peanut butter. All right, Dan, that's question one, which is uh, better to get the kind that are organic. Now, the second question he had was a good one, which is, you know, how much protein is enough? We have these standard recommendations. You eat up to one gram per kilogram per day. Not everybody gets that. Some people get more. Some people get less. For somebody who's trying to build up their muscle mass, who's trying to build up their strength and energy, what kind of guidelines do we use and where do we get those from? Um, a lot of times the protein does vary based on the, the individual. So if they're more active, if the woman's pregnant, they need more protein. If someone's going through treatments, uh, so radiation, chemotherapy, they need higher amounts of patient, um, protein. Um, a burn patient would need very high amounts of protein. Protein is the building block. So it's used for collagen production. So our skin, our nails, our muscles. And so we would need a lot more protein in those conditions or someone that's very active or growing adolescence. And that is just determined with going to um, going and looking what the guidelines are for age. So there's very specific um, dietary recommendations. So you can look them up online. There's dietary, dietary recommendations for protein and for calories for children, adolescents of specific ages, for pregnant women. 
And so you for adults can, and beyond and activity levels. So lots right. of things go into that. Um, right. Not just your not just your weight, but also what are your activity? What else do you do? What are your other health conditions? So for people who are told to kind of work on building up their nutrition, should they really be looking at things like protein and looking at things like vegetables? If they're told to, quote, eat healthier, what does that mean? If someone is trying to eat healthy, but they also need to increase protein, then they really want to look for protein from the best sources that are lean sources of protein. So eggs, very lean cuts of meat. Anything um, with the, from the loin cut tends to be a leaner cut. So think tenderloin or loin of pork or sirloin tends to be the leaner cuts. Um, nuts and beans are excellent sources of protein as well. So if you're a vegetarian and you go, I'm not eating meat, then you could go with nuts and you could go with... Or natural tofu, soy. And we mentioned earlier, we heard from, I think it was Jennifer who said, you know, the less processed, the better. Right. So if you're going to have things like tofu, try and find something that isn't as processed if possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so here I am at the party. So So we've gone to our party. We've enjoyed ourselves. We had a little bit to eat. We had some dessert. Now, the next day, what can we do to compensate? Let's say that maybe we had a little more dessert than we should have. Is there anything we should do the day after? Focus more on salads, lower the calorie intake. What can we do the day after we we have our meal, like maybe the day after Thanksgiving? What can we do to balance that out? So that's an excellent question because the the Thanksgiving holiday can go on for a couple of days. days, So we kind of want to get right back on the saddle, so to speak, the next day. So up the exercise routine. I always say that the the most important thing you can do during the holidays is try to maintain the status quo, maintain your weight, and do that by stepping up the physical activity, Um, whatever that means, maybe choosing to dance at the party or play some games, laugh, talk more, maybe go for a a quick walk and come back to the party and kind of keep moving around, socialize rather than hanging out or sitting down just kind of munching and drinking the whole time. So find some other activities. Now, people, you know, New Year comes around and they say, all right, that's it. I want to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to eat better. There's actually a really great class, the Eat Healthy, Live Well class that you help teach that's coming up a new session in January. If people want to get more information about that, where could they get the information? There's like two sessions. One of them is like 90 minutes. The other one is is a five-week group class. These are things that people can do and enroll in to sort of learn more about healthy eating and get more specialized instructions. You teach this class. How do people find out about it? Right. They can contact. Um, it's it's through Strop Clinic and Hospital, uh, through our health management department, and that number is 522-4325. Again, that's 522-4325, and it's called our Choose Healthy Live Well program, and it's basically a wellness program that's focused on prevention, specifically persons that are at high risk for diabetes or if they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, or they're just wanting to manage their weight. And they could call in. They don't have to necessarily be referred just from Straub. They could call in from somewhere else and say, I want to go to this class, and they could do it. Yes, it it is open, and so they just contact us, and we can give them the information that they would need. We do have a five-group class series coming up in January, and then we have a one-time kind of overview group class that we do on Saturdays that's about 90 minutes. So, again, they can call us for more information. 
Great. All right. That way, if you blow it for the holidays, there's a way to redeem yourself. 522-4325. Redemption is available. All right, Sally, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find The Body Show on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about concussions. Monday at 5, right here on The Body Show. Thanks for joining us.